Well, Merry Christmas to everybody. And if you have your Bible, I'd like to invite you to turn with me into the book of Genesis chapter 4. Genesis 4. It's kind of an unusual book to really probably find a Christmas message from, but it shouldn't surprise us. In the book of John chapter 5, Jesus said, Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but they are which testify of me. Now, it's interesting, if you really look at the Old Testament, Jesus is everywhere through it. There are groups today that say, well, we're a New Testament church. We don't even look at the Old Testament. But if you're truly a New Testament church, you're going to find how important the Old Testament really is. Because it tells us who Jesus Christ was. Yes, this baby that was born in a manger and why he needed to come. Now, when we look at Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, and this will be a little bit review for some of you, but we're going to look at it from a little bit different manner this way today. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word today, may your Holy Spirit speak to us through it. And just as your word said, these words are full of you. It's all about you. And so we ask you now that your Holy Spirit would come now and teach us from your word. Show us what great sacrifice you made for us in Jesus' name. Amen. We went over this last week, but I think it's worth repeating. Now, Abraham knew Eve, his wife. She conceived and bore a child and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Well, initially, we might look at that and think, well, that's interesting, Cain and all. But you know, it's interesting. Now man is under the curse. And this first child that's born under the curse, we find as we'll read on, turns out to be a murderer. But it's also noteworthy when we go to the book of Luke chapter 1, Mary receives a man from the Lord as well. You see, the first, Mar- the first man, Adam, sold us all into slavery. The second Adam, Jesus Christ, got us all out of slavery. The first baby that was born was a murderer. The first baby that was born with promise concerning who Jesus Christ is brought us all life. In fact, as we read this, you're going to see some interesting um, anomalies that I believe are only found when you understand as you study the scriptures who Jesus is. Now, remember when Jesus, the Bible tells us, he that knew no sin became sin for us. And that's why he died on the cross. And when he's dying on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do as he's being crucified, as they're nailing him to the cross. And then he said that as he took our sins, Father, Father, why hast thou forsaken me? Why did the father forsake Jesus there on the cross? It's because a man who knew no sin, Jesus Christ, became all of our sin, and he died on the cross in our place. Now, one of the things that's interesting that we find here, that Cain brought his sacrifice to the Lord. Abel brought his. Abel's was accepted. The Bible tells us Cain's was rejected. Why was it rejected? The Bible doesn't say. We do know the ground was cursed. And we know that he brought forth vegetables, you might say, from the earth. 
On the other hand, Abel brought forth the firstling, the fatted, the best that he had of his flock and gave that to the Lord. And the Lord accepted it. The Bible tells us that Cain became full of wrath. And he took his brother out into the field as if he was going to have fellowship with him, but instead he killed him. And then it says that the Lord came in verse 9, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Well, as a matter of fact, according to the New Testament, Jesus Christ is our keeper. See, the first baby that was born said, I have nothing to do with my brethren. Jesus Christ came and he has everything to do with his brethren. The next thing we find here, interestingly enough, and why these words are written this way, I read about this and I've thought about this for a long time, but then I came across this and it's interesting to me. What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Isn't it interesting that from the cross, Jesus's blood cries out to all of us. You see, this is one of the first mentions that we find. This is the first murder in the Bible. This is maybe the first uh, argument, you might say, that we find between two brothers, one of them dying. And the Bible tells us here that God cursed Cain because of his sin. Now, we know that Jesus became our curse as he died on the cross. And notice it says something interesting. Cain says, as this is being uh, placed upon him, verse 13, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Isn't that the truth about every one of us? As Jesus took our sin on the cross, that our sin was greater than we could bear. We cannot die for our own sins. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And as a matter of fact, for every one of us living today, our punishment is greater than we can bear. We needed somebody else to take our punishment. That's why Jesus was born. That's why Jesus led a sinless life. And he died on the cross and rose three days later to prove that he had power over this great punishment that was greater than us, gave us life and life eternal. So the Bible tells us then that the first family was not a very healthy family. The first baby was a murder. The the baby that came from, from the father, Jesus, was the one that restored all of us. Well, in verse 16, we find a little bit more about this individual Cain. This guy was a person who, again, was the first baby that was born. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. Now, in the presence of the Lord doesn't mean that he all of a sudden could hide out where God wasn't around. In fact, King David said in the Psalms, if I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I descend to hell, you're there. Where can I go, God, to get out of your presence? I think it's interesting that there is a different place, though, sometimes where we go, where it seems that the presence of God is greater and we're more aware of it than someplace else. 
Case in point, we know that the Shekinah glory of the Lord, evidently where this seraphim was there, and we remember in the last verse of chapter 3, there was a cherubim placed there to keep man from eating of the tree. There was a great presence of God there. But he left that place and he went to the land of Nod. The word Nod means the land of wandering. I think that is interesting because this is the old sin nature of humans. You see, when we're not right with God, we wander, don't we? We spend our whole life wandering all over the world looking for the purpose and the meaning of life. And we'll try anything, anything that glitters, anything that, that whatever it is, we'll try it. The Bible says the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life is what man pursues and it will drain the life right out of you. And so Cain went from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of wandering on the east side of Eden. Cain knew his wife and she conceived and bore Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad. Irad begot uh, Methuselah. Methethuel begot Methahel. By the way, I don't say these words right. It wasn't until I was in Israel I realized I never would. Because I go, now what? And they'll go, and I go, I don't do that. I, I can't say that. In fact, it's funny, depending on where you were raised, how you speak. It's, we call it accents. It's the way we talk. In fact, in the Bible, there was a place where there was a battle being fought, being fought, and there were defectors that joined in with those leaving. And before they would let him in their country, they said, say this word, and they would say the word. But if they said it wrong, they were executed. That's where a speech impediment can really be an issue. Because they weren't trained in their words the way they spoke to say certain words. Well, I have a hard time with some of these words too. Methuselah begot Lemek. Then Lemek took for himself two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the name of the second was Zillah. Now, this is the first time in the Bible we find polygamy mentioned. Now, we'll go on as we read this. Nothing much ever really became of these. And by the way, the entire descendants of Cain were destroyed in the flood. And uh, so there wasn't two separate boats going on. Cain was uh, this. Now, we remember we talked about this last week. God put a mark on Cain. Okay? God put a mark on Cain. Uh, so that no one would kill him if they found him. Something else interesting, the father put a mark on Jesus, allowed those marks to be on Jesus, called the marks that he took on the cross for us. And by the way, the Bible tells us that God will give us a mark when we're in heaven to show forever that we belong to him. It's interesting in Revelation chapter 13 that the devil endeavors to put a mark on those that follow after him. We know that that's called the mark of the beast. And again, it's found in Revelation chapter 13. The last couple of verses tell us it's either a mark, a name, or a number. And it signifies that you have sold out to the Antichrist. 
Now, somebody asked me one time, they said, well, how do I know that my, my, uh, my credit card with that little chip on it, uh, that isn't the mark of the beast. Let me just share this with you. The mark of the beast is on the heart, I believe personally, a long time before it ever shows up or on, on the hand or on the forehead. Yes, it is a physical, literal mark. The Bible tells us there's angels flying through the midst of heaven, warning people not to take that mark. But remember this, that God does, in fact, on the other hand, mark his own. And I pray today that you are marked by the love of Jesus in your life. God put a mark on Cain. God puts a mark on us. You see, it's who you identify with. And that's what the whole idea of these marks are. For those that like to study eschatology, study of end time things, you find the mark of the beast on the people who reject God. You find the mark that God puts on the 144,000 Jews, the Bible says. But then God ultimately puts a mark on all of us because we belong to him in heaven someday. And so I think that's so important when we realize that we belong to God. Now, it tells us here that he married two women. This uh, son of Cain married two women. First time again that we find polygamy in the Bible. That was not the original design of God. The original design of God was one man and one woman. I know today everybody's trying to rewrite the Bible. In the beginning, there was Adam and Steve. Uh, It didn't happen that way. The Bible says Adam and Eve. The name Eve means the mother of all living. So there wasn't, Adam didn't have other wives. Uh, Some of them uh, mention these other names that are out there. This didn't happen. It's not found in the Bible. This is made up. But Eve is the mother of all living. And so this is one of the reasons that fortifies really that when God made everything in six days, he meant exactly what is said. There is not a time gap between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2, which is oftentimes called the gap theory. In other words, God made everything, something went horribly awry, dinosaurs and all this kind of pterodactyls and all this kind of stuff happened. And God goes, man, this is a real mess. I don't know what to do. It's like Jurassic Park. I'm just going to scrap the whole thing and start over again. No, we don't find any record of that. In fact, people have asked the question, where do dinosaurs come into the Bible? Well, we don't really know. But the Bible does tell us some interesting things. Job is one of the oldest books in the Bible. And it talks about the behemoth that has a tail like the cedar of Lebanon. There is really no modern animal that has a tail like a cedar of Lebanon. Now, a cedar of Lebanon, these trees were like 20 foot in diameter, 15 foot in diameter, and they they were huge. This is book of Job, the oldest book. Now, again, not older than Genesis, but it's the oldest recorded book for us to look at. We find down in Texas that there are some fossil beds and there they find human footprints and at the same time, dinosaur footprints at the same place. And they had to be created at the same time. What happened? Well, maybe God created these. We know the Garden of Eden was a wonderful place where God allowed man to live. And because he was in this protected environment, this is where he was to stay. But man refused to live there. 
Because we took orders from the devil, eat of the tree. God said, don't eat of the tree. Who's going to be your master? Who's your daddy? Well, instead of them listening to God, they took orders from the devil and the devil became the master, the God of this world. The Bible says the prince of the power of the air. That's who Satan is. Very powerful force that we have to understand. You can never battle in your own intellect or even your own thoughts. You have to battle the devil with the spirit of God. The Bible tells us in the book of Jude that when Michael was in dispute uh, over uh, with the devil over Moses' body. Now, why was he in dispute? Maybe that if Moses' body would be around, they'd start worshiping it or something. I don't know. But whatever it was, the Bible says God buried Moses. And the thing is, there was a dispute between Michael the archangel and Lucifer over Moses' body. And the Bible says... He was the mightiest of angels, but he said, the Lord rebuke you. He didn't say, come on, devil, I'll take you on. No, not at all. We have nothing really to say to the devil. Jesus said it like this. He said, rejoice not that you have power over the devil, but rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. What we rejoice in and what gives us our strength and what gives us our defense is Jesus Christ. Always keep, and if you don't get anything else out of today, remember this. Always keep Jesus between you and the devil. That's where your strength lies. It is not in ourselves. It is not in our wisdom. It is not in my own personal spirituality. No, we're only... We're only representatives. We're ambassadors. Always keep Jesus between you and the enemy. We have a genuine, formidable enemy that wants to destroy human beings. And so understanding that, this old sin nature, when we started taking orders from Satan rather than from God, got us removed from the garden. There could have been dinosaurs, all kinds of things. Why aren't they still around today? We know that after the world went through the great flood, the great deluge, that everything changed. In fact, the interesting, we'll read up here a few more verses. There was a fellow by the name of Peleg. And it says, he was named that, and by the way, in those days, in fact, many cultures around the world today, they'll name their children after events. When I was in Tonga, I met a girl named Telephone. I thought that was funny. But I could tell by her age, she was probably about 30 years old. And that told me that telephones came to the island of Tonga. Now, this was about 1992. Told me that about 30 years before that is when telephones came to the island. People would name their children after events. Well, this guy's name was Peleg. And the Bible says it's when the earth broke apart. Oh, wow. What's that? Maybe it's the continental drift theory in reality. I don't know. But whatever it was, the earth broke apart. And there could have been isolation of land. This is one of the reasons why they believe possibly Australia and and all have such critters, the platypus and the kangaroo, animals that we don't see anywhere else because the geographic areas as it broke apart. We know it's, uh, we call it the continental drift, but uh, we know that it's real. So, Here's the thing. Why aren't there dinosaurs today? Couldn't live in the new environment. Why don't we live to be uh, a thousand years old? Wouldn't that be great? I mean, sometimes, some days I think living to to be 60 is too long. Um, But imagine living to be a thousand years old like they did before the flood. Imagine you could actually pay your house and your car off. Wouldn't that be cool? 
You can actually live without being in debt. I mean, you actually, and, and all the things that you learn, you can actually use. But the, also the problem was, is that the Bible says, because of man's longevity, as we'll read up here a few more chapters, their thoughts were only evil continually. In other words, they got worse and worse and worse. Now you'd think it would have been neat if they got better and better and better. But here's the problem. We're still dealing with an old sin nature. And through the Bible, you're going to find that there were times when people indulged in decadence. And sometimes they would then call out to God and the God, and, and God would, would heal them and restore them and bless them. We find this over and over again as a picture type of the children of Israel when they left Egypt. Oh, yay, Moses. Cool. God's cool. Yeah, go. We're out of slavery. And the first trial that comes. Well, we should have never left Egypt. It's really weird how fickle mankind is. That's why you need the spirit of God in you. That's why you need not only to be born again, but you need to be spirit filled. You need that deutimos that comes from God. You know, the Bible tells us where the Bible says the power of the Holy Spirit. The word for power is not the word it, it, it's, it's where we get the word dynamo from, not, not dynamite. Dynamite's interesting. You know, boom, it's over and, and that's it. But a dynamo, like a generator in your car, keeps generating and generating and generating. And so when you run down in your spirit and you get tired and the cares of life and those things start getting to you, that generator from the Holy Spirit comes and restores you. See, God didn't just save us. Forgive our sins, save us, and then let us go. No, he saved us for a reason. He put his generator in us to keep us going, keep us fired up, keep us his kids. And we need that. Because if we don't get that, we're going to find ourselves overwhelmed by the overwhelming features of life. But remember this, God is bigger than the things that are out there in the world. You see, if we only, and this goes back to our focus, and whose mark is upon you? When your focus is on God, that God's going to get me through. Now, one of the things that I found in my life is that God has gotten me through a lot of really tough things in my life. And, and I, if you've been a Christian any length of time, you know you can say the same thing. Isn't it true? Amen? God's got you through a lot of, you, you just go, oh, this is a train wreck. I don't know what I'm going to do. I remember one time, and I, to this day, I don't know what happened, but I was down in Santa Ana, California. I was pulling a boat, and I was driving, and this car in front of me jammed on its brakes. And I go, oh, oh no. I, I just held onto the steering wheel and closed my eyes because I knew I was going to hit. And I opened my eyes, and the car wasn't there. I don't know what happened to that car. Maybe I was seeing things. Maybe I need to lay off pepperoni pizza late at night. I don't know. But all I know is when I opened my eyes, it wasn't there. And I think about a lot about that in life. That's the way a lot of it is. We go, oh, I'm going to hit. I'm going to hit. It's gone. God supernaturally intervenes. Now, sometimes I know what he does. Sometimes I don't know what he does, but I know God supernaturally intervenes in our life and gets us through these things that we go through. We call trials. But how often is it that God will get us through something? Oh God, you're great. Hallelujah. We're having a hallelujah breakdown. Oh yes, Jesus. And then the next trial comes and we go, 
Don't you love me anymore? Where are you? I try calling on my cell phone. You don't answer. I mean, where are you? We do that. We, we forget how God had so miraculously delivered us from so many things. And the next trial, we act like we never knew that God ever did one thing for us. Isn't that true? That's why we get overwhelmed sometimes. See, it's what we look at. And if you go through life always looking at the Lord, no matter what happens, what trial, what problem, you know, God is always going to see us through. The reason why I look at this here that we're reading about concerning Cain is Cain is kind of the the exemplary mass of what's wrong with humans. It's kind of interesting that Jesus took on our sin, who knew no sin, to be the righteous sacrifice for us. And I look at Cain and I look at what he came to in a land of wandering, in a land of just going on, not finding his purpose, wearing himself out. And I think, God, this is so, we're, we're so canish until we come to Christ. He murdered his brother over something that happened spiritually. God accepted his sacrifice, uh, uh, Abel's, and rejected Cain's. And for that reason, he killed him. They, they, they weren't having a fight over no, that's my beefsteak. No, that's my beefsteak. They were fighting over a religious issue, probably the first church split right there. And, and you find him fighting over this, and he kills his brother. And we see the things that ensue over and over again. And I go, God, we're so canish before we come to Christ. We wander And we look for things that mean something. And we try to focus, but all of the things do not matter. Verse 20, it says, And Adah bore Jabal, and he was the father of those who dwell in tents and and livestock. His brother's name was, and his brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of those who play the harp and the flute. And Zillah, for she also bore Tubal, Cain, instructor of craftsmen in bronze and iron, and the sister of Tubal Cain was Nema. Then Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, O wives of Lamech. Listen to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. If Cain shall avenge sevenfold, then Lamech seventy. Sevenfold. The last time I remember hearing that was when Peter said, how often shall I forgive my brother? Seven times. And Jesus said, not seven times, 70 times seven. We find the same thing here. Now, it's interesting that he says that um, um, this man tried to kill me and I killed him. And so therefore, I'll take my vengeance. Kind of interesting what the nature of man really is. We're going to be the one that's going to get in. By the way, something noteworthy here is it says they were craftsmen. Zilla also bore Tubalcane, instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron. It's weird that the nation of Israel, up until the time of Solomon, really weren't skilled in metallurgy at all. In fact, that's why the Philistines had such a great edge over the, over, over the children of Israel, because they could work with iron and all these kinds of things. 
And yet Israel, this is way, way after this time, still hadn't mastered the idea of forgery, uh, forging and, and these kinds of things. And, and I, I think that's amazing because we always picture somehow that, you know, Adam and Eve, they were, you know, had a, had a nail through a board scratching their back and they were like cavemen and not at all. I think they were pretty advanced. Well, anyway, going back to Adam and Eve, verse 25. Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son named Seth. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain had killed. And as for Seth, to him was also a son was born, and his name was Enosh. Now, uh, this is interesting because, again, Seth line was to replace Cain and literally Abel's line because of their choices. I think it's interesting sometimes that we, because of our rebellion, make God do different things in our life. But you know, I know God has a great plan for every one of you. I know God's got something bigger than the things that you've done wrong. I know God's got something better than your own ideas. And I think a lot of times the danger, sometimes we hear this, well, you just need to use positive confession. You just need to speak it into existence. All this rhetoric that you hear. You know what I have found? I just say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, God's got bigger plans for you than you do. I think sometimes God's probably pretty amazed and pretty amused when we're going around saying, God, I claim that, I want that, I want like a bunch of spoiled six-year-old kids. Where God says, I've got something so much better for you over here. You know, when I start seeing life through God's eyes, it changes the way I live. It changes the way I see a problem. It changes the way I see a trial. And if all we ever do is continue to focus upon our problem rather than the deliverer of our problem, we're going to always be under those problems. You see, living this life is not going to be problem-free. And it doesn't matter, friends, whether you're a Christian listening to this today or a non-Christian. Whether you have anything to do with God or you claim you're an atheist. doesn't make any difference. You're going to have problems in your life. The only difference is, is what do you do with them? You can go around and try to seek all the counsel you can. You can run to the, uh, the, to the Ann Landers, if you will. You can run to your friends. You can run to your school. You can run to anyone that you may know for that information that you need to deal with those issues. Or you can run to God who knows more about that problem and knows more about you than you know about you. You see... One thing I believe that causes a person to repent is when you finally come to the conclusion that life is bigger than you are. Problems are bigger than you are. You say, well, no, you don't understand. I got the world by the tail. Until you get negative prognosis from your doctor saying you've got terminal cancer. Now what are you going to do? You see, life is bigger than we are. And that's one of the first things I believe that we need to come to when we realize who Jesus Christ is. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13, 6 tells us. And because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, I know that because God knows tomorrow better than I remember yesterday, I know that he can build me into what I'm going to need to be to meet the challenges of tomorrow. But if you're not a Christian, you're hitting it 
nose first on your own, guaranteed to lose. You see, that's why it's great that we have such a wonderful God. The very last sentence of this chapter 4, then men begin to call on the name of the Lord. This is probably the first recorded revival in the Bible is here at the very last verse of chapter 4. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. You see, the problem is, whether you live before the flood, and you were part of the first families, if you will, or whether you're living today, they began to realize there's something more to life than meets the eye. And I pray that you today understand that. You see, because if we don't understand that, We're going to continue to do the same mistakes over and over and over again. Have you ever said this? Boy, if I knew how that was going to come out, I would have never done it. You ever said that? Wouldn't it have been neat that God would have told you, don't do it like that? Why is that? Because God knows the outcome. See, remember this. What we oftentimes think is fun that God says is sin, it's because God knows something more about our fun than we do. God knows the things that we like to do. The Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end there's death. God knows more about that lifestyle. God knows more about that fun. God knows more about that thrill than we do. And so what God then says is, listen to me, and I'll tell you in an in, presently what's going to happen in the future for those who go down that path. Now, a lot of people think, well, the thing is, if I do these things, then God will rain lightning bolts down on me. Shouldn't have done that. And we go, yeah, you know, God's really mad at me. No, do you know what it is? It's the natural result of living contrary to God. That's why it's sin. The reason God doesn't want us to do certain things is not because he's mean to us. He goes, I know more about that than you do. They said they have a great problem with dogs sometimes around the farm drinking antifreeze. Farmers will sometimes change the antifreeze out because the... uh, chemical fighting, calcium fighting things go away and they'll drain it. And this pretty green liquid is underneath the tractor. And here comes old Fido and starts lapping it up. They say it tastes sweet. But the problem is it causes nearly immediately kidney failure, all kinds of other issues. But it tastes so good going down until it does its damage. Sin is so fun until it does its damage to us. Which leads us to where we're at this morning. We have communion. Communion was what God himself ordained. It's one of the sacraments of the church. There's being born again. There's baptism. There's communion. And there's marriage. Actually, those are are the sacraments of the church. Things that we hold high and dear to all of us that are born again, that are called by the name of Christ. Now, the thing is, is this. Many people, and I was one, and so I know this. I was raised in church. And like I always shared with you all, 
some of you were raised in the bars. I was raised in the church, and my stories are as weird as yours. Well, the thing is, though, one of the things is I was familiar with things of the church quite often because, again, um, I suppose you've heard of Nicky Cruz's book called Crossing the Switchblade. Made, made many years ago, he was uh, part of the Mau Mau's in New York City making zip guns out of car radio antennas and all these kinds of things that he was doing, a bad guy. And he wrote this book about this and how he got saved through Wilkerson's ministry and all these kinds of things. I suppose if I was going to write a book, I'd, mine would be called Crossing the Butter Knife. But I never got into that stuff. God was good. He protected me from a lot of things. But sometimes growing up in the church, you can miss a lot of the great things of God because we don't have the contrast. Now, I had a guy come to me one time and he actually said, Mike, should I have went out and sinned a lot before I got saved? Because the Bible says those that love much or are forgiven much love much. And I said, no. You've been given a great gift of God's protection in your life. Moms and dads, protect your kids. And sometimes it's not a bad idea to explain to them why you don't want to go down these paths. Because it's all so alluring when they watch the movies and they watch uh, the, the, the sitcoms and they listen to the words and the music on secular radio. It sounds so good. If you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with. But what's wrong with that? Well, it destroys us. Being raised in church, though, we had communion regularly. Oh, I knew the cup was for the, for the blood. Yeah, that, that Jesus shed his blood for me. The ground crawled, cried out concerning Cain, where's your, your brother? And he said, the blood is crying out from the ground. Jesus' blood cries out from the cross. But what's the bread for? You see, Peter quotes an Old Testament verse that says, by his stripes we're healed. You know, you need to be healed today. You say, but I, I don't feel bad. I, I don't have any cancer. I, I don't have the flu or nothing. No, but you need to be healed. There's something far more damaging than even a physical ailment. What the problem is, is we inside, we are such complex beings. We all... With two, two eyes, two ears, a nose, and a mouth, yet God makes every one of us look different. I don't know how God does that. It's amazing to me how God can take such simple elements and make all of us look different. But that's for a reason. It's because we are different. And you're very complex. I don't know if you've ever drove down the road in your car and said, I don't know what's wrong with me. You see, if you said that, that's the point. Why do I do the dumb things I do? You ever said that? I don't know what's going on. We have all these statements, but it all says the same thing. We're complex, we're broken, and we need to be fixed. Jesus in the upper room, the night before he was crucified, he said, how I've longed to eat this with you. And I'm not going to eat it again until I eat it with all of you in heaven together. It's going to be one big party. It's going to be one giant table. 
I've shared this many times, but you walk into this giant room that God's going to have for the marriage supper of the Lamb and communion, and you're, you're going to have your little name thing right there. Oh, look, they knew I was coming. Reserve for, and I'll have your name right there. Wow, they knew I was here. They knew I was coming. Yes, God knows his own. God put his mark on you. You see, you're under the blood. And because he, put, he, because he did that, God not only cares about you in eternity, but he cares about you now. And when Peter said, by his stripes we're healed, God provided a way for you and me to be restored and be healed. The way we love, how we love, the ability to love, the ability to be loved. The way we think about others, the way we think people think about us, the way we think about God, the way we think about eternity, the way we think about everything. God offers his healing for you and me through communion. Oh, when I was a kid, I knew the cup was Jesus' bloodshed for me. The bread, well, that was kind of, I don't know, just kind of goes with the cup, I guess. But Jesus, he held up the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Peter says, why? is so you can be healed. Corinthians chapter 11 talks about people who, who the Bible says, don't make ever this, your ability to be healed, take it, take it lightly. It's not that you're partaking of communion unworthily, that you're unworthy. Friends, the truth of the matter is we're all unworthy. But it's the way I view communion in an unworthy sense. You see, because then, he says, for this reason, many are sick and dead among you. You didn't take the medicinal thing that God offered for you to be healed. So this morning, first, if you're not a Christian, we're going to pray. And you can ask Christ into your life. And then we'll have communion. If you're not a Christian, communion is kind of a meaningless thing. It doesn't apply to you because the power of what Jesus did is for believers. But if you are a Christian, not only are you reminded you're valuable that Jesus died for you, but also God says, I want to heal you this morning. What is it? Maybe at this time of Christmas, maybe you got a lot of tears. Maybe it's because grandma or grandpa or mom or dad or brother or sister aren't with you this year. And there's an emptiness and there's a loneliness. God has a way of fixing that. The Bible says he's a brother. He's, he sticks closer than a brother. You see, he's our keeper. Unlike Cain, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? Jesus said, I am your keeper. This morning, if you've never prayed and asked Christ in your life, we're going to pray right now. And let God do a brand new work in your life. You see, you can't live long enough to make all the mistakes yourself. So it's better that you have somebody showing you what's best. Let's pray. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I invite you into my life today. I believe you died on the cross for me. And Jesus, thank you for you forgiving my sins. So from this day forward, I commit my life into your hands. 
Fill me now with your Holy Spirit. I repent of the foolish way that I have lived. And from this day forward, I commit my life into your hands. Write my name now in your book of life that I can live forever with you. In Jesus' name, amen.